me look presentable in my hick ways. <laughs> I'll get you to do a whole podcast in that accent someday. <laughs> Howdy, y'all. We're here to be talking about some writing. <laughs> yeah, I can was- I can go there. <laughs> Um, I did. I, I was, I was reared that way. <laughs> um, all right. Hello and welcome to releasing your inner dragon with Drake and Marie. I am one of your hosts, Maxwell Alexander Drake. I'm an award-winning novelist. I teach writing all over the world. I've written in every medium that exists. And with me as always is my co-host Marie. Hello, my name is Marie Mullaney. I write fantasy books and run a world building channel on YouTube. And today, we're going to delve down the topic of dialogue. We're going to kind of focus in on it. Uh, I was at a convention last week. It was the class that I gave, and so it's kind of fresh in mind. So I was like, hey, let's do what I'm thinking about. But before we get into it, as always, please, if you find this stuff helpful, share this with your writing friends. Click like, click subscribe. You know, If you're listening to us on a podcast, add us to your favorites, whatever. If you're on Spotify, you can also rate the podcast. So don't forget about that. You can actually like give it a rating. I, I didn't forget about it because I didn't know about that. Yeah. Um, I have listened to a few things on Spotify, but I don't use it very often. So, yes, rate us. Uh, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, you know, maximum rating is always, you know, the only really. And I mean, because if you, if you don't feel like giving us the maximum rating, it's actually very difficult to rate us. Like it's very hard to give a four star or a three star, something like that. It's very easy to give a five star. And then words like fantastic, amazing, awesome, best ever, uh, life changing. Don't want to put words in your mouth, but just saying stuff like that is always, you know, really easy to type out. Uh, much easier than these guys suck. That's very tough to type that out. Oh, Super easy. Barely an inconvenience. Barely an inconvenience. <laughs> I love that guy. Um, all right. So. Like I said, we're going to get into some dialogue today. Um, let me start off with my normal kind of just thing that I do when I'm in my classes. So I actually divide writing into three aspects of writing. And I do believe that they're very, very different. And you have to master all three of them to be a really good prose writer, fiction writer. So the first type is just narration. Narration is where you're just going to describe something and it be interesting. So maybe we're describing some people in a room. Well, you have to paint the picture. You got to let the reader see the room and see the stuff in the room and see where everybody's at and what everybody's wearing and, you know, what the whole thing is going on. And that is actually very difficult to do and and keep it engaging and interesting. And it's the reason why when I'm teaching that stuff, I always say, make it personal to the POV. You know, don't describe the wall, describe how the POV sees the wall and how the wall affects the POV. You know, from my should don't tell class, I always talk about it's not the the what um, and the how, it's the why and the effect. So I don't care how your character does something or what they're going to do. I care about why they're going to do it and the effect it has on them and the world around them. So it's the same thing in narration. It's hard. It actually is very, very hard to describe something and actually make it interesting. Um, subtext is another thing that you can add to that to really, you know, there's a, in my, um, point of view book, uh, which I just haven't have right here. Cause I was reading this section to a private client yesterday. There's a difference between describing something. I describe a backyard and I just describe it and then I redescribe it and I don't do anything different, but describe it. But in the redescription, you feel pain and loss and misery and tragedy. And most people come out of that and go, wow. So like, 
like this guy left home a long time ago and he was obviously got a huge fight with his dad and he hasn't spoke to him in 20 years and and now his dad's dead and he's come home for the first time and and I'm like yeah none of that is actually in there I describe a backyard in both scenes there's literally no words of mention you know anyone dying any loss any but the way I describe the backyard and the one is just describing it and the other is with subtext and so it, it's very 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 powerful and, and very good so that's one thing Another aspect is motion or action. You know, how do we make the audience feel like they're a girl on a bike riding through a park? Because it's still static words. So, and you can't write it the way you describe a backyard or, you know, whatever. You have to write different. And so there's all sorts of stuff with that. And the third aspect is dialogue. Dialogue is not people talking to each other. It's not. It's a third to a half of the words that you're going to write in your novel. If you waste a third to a half of the words in your novel with just people talking to each other, you have wasted a third to a half of your words in your novel. It has to grow characters and move the plot and give subtext and and have meaning. It absolutely is, in my opinion, the hardest thing to write because it isn't your characters talking. You know, kind of the way I like to think about it is it's, it's more like The Wizard of Oz. The readers... Just like with Wizard of Oz, you see this big flaming head that's really scary. Dialogue to the readers, it looks like there's just people talking to each other. But the reality is, just like in Wizard of Oz, where there's this nerdy dude behind the curtains pulling cables, that's really what dialogue is. Dialogue is you using the power of prose to pull the strings of the story and the characters and and the, and ultimately the reader's emotions and heart. And if you just waste it, you waste it. So... You know, that's always my initial thing that I talk about is just it is an aspect of writing that you need to master. My take on dialogue is one of the things you have to be really careful of is you cannot write the way we talk. Because if you think about just this podcast, we're both fairly literate people, right? But we speak for about an hour in these podcasts, which means we speak about 9,000 words, give or take. Yeah. That is two chapters worth of content. But if I were to condense what we say down into two characters speaking to each other, I would cut out a lot of repetition, a lot of things that we say twice in different ways, a lot of examples, a lot of half words. Sometimes we start a sentence that we don't quite finish. Like, And that's the way that people talk. But if your characters talk like that in a book that people read, it's going to read choppy, distorted. You're going to waste a lot of words and it's not going to flow. It actually goes a step deeper than that. So, you know, another thing I do in my dialogue class, the, the first thing I, I start with, is I say, look, you have to get over it. You cannot write the way you talk um, because, it, you know, you're 100 percent right on every one of those things. Mm. But the reason why I go down that path is. When we're physically talking to each other, the words that we're exchanging are only about 60 to 70 percent of the information that we're passing back and forth between us. Hmm. The other 30 to 40 percent are things that aren't words, our inflection, our facial features, body language. It's one of the reasons why, you know, sure, the modern day technology with Zoom and all of that. And if you're watching us on YouTube, I feel like you get way more out of this than than if you're just listening on a podcast, uh, because you still need you know humans need that 
for for dialogue for for just yeah. conversation we need all those other things and i can prove it and you know it's so easy to prove and you know everybody who knows me knows i'm a big prove it kind of person this has happened to every single human being on this planet every one of us have had to have a touchy topic discussed with someone that we either wrote them an email or a text message. And so we we made sure that we spent extra time on it. We knew it was a touchy topic. And so we we wrote it, we edited it. We maybe even had somebody come over and read it and kind of give us advice on it. And then we sent it off and it still pissed off the person who got it because it was only about 60 to 70% of what you meant. You didn't include facial features and body language and voice inflection. And that is so important to human verbal communication. Well, as a prose writer, you don't get those. You just don't. So what you have to do is you have to learn how to compensate for the fact that you're missing 30 to 40% of what you mean. And this is through all of it. Those three things that I talk about, narration, um, motion, and dialogue, it's all the same because that's really why a lot of indie press books or whatever don't really land with the audience because they write the way they talk. And really what that means is they've written a novel and then they've they've basically removed 30% of the words randomly and then expect somebody to enjoy it. And they don't. You know, because when, you know, you've heard me talk about this before, where everybody's writing two books simultaneously and they don't realize it. You're writing one in your head and one on paper. Well, the one in your head has facial features and inflection and body language and everything else that you didn't put on paper. And it's the same thing with that email that you sent off that pissed off whoever you sent it to. In your head, it has all those things. But once you send it to them, it doesn't have all those things because they only get the paper book. They don't get the head book. And so, you know, that's the reason why I say you cannot, because all those other things are 100% accurate. Um, But it's also a little deeper than that because we're dealing in communication medium that is actually void of things that are available to you during verbal communication, you know, actual face-to-face. And yes, the Zoom stuff and, and everything has, you know, this is definitely a better way to talk than just if me and Marie were just sending emails back and forth. Um, you know, being able to have them. Well, like, you know, everybody knows sarcasm does not come across on paper. Um, it just reads as, well, you're a mean jerk. Like I, that you can't tell that was a joke. It was a completely a joke. Um, but of course we don't have that. It It does not translate. (laughs) It does not. So yes, um, I, I completely agree with that. And yet you have to do the description of how people are talking. So you, you've got to paint like that picture of, you know, what their voice sounds like, etc. Without overusing the same, you 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 can't have every piece of dialogue be he said in a this kind of a tone. He said with his voice rising. He said with like, and the reason why I'm very cognizant of it is because I have a blind character in Sangwell. And dialogue is a nightmare Mm. when you're dealing with a blind. You'd think dialogue would be easy because you just write it, right? No, because the problem is I don't don't want to, like I'm not you, I I do use dialogue tags, Mm -hmm. but I do try to limit them because they do get repetitive. But in the blind girls, 
<laughs> things. My only way of distinguishing is like I have to put in sounds or smells or things like that, which she can identify, which then hopefully go along with the dialogue tag. But then I also am very dependent on things like describing the voice and so on. And it's made me very conscious when I read other people's text of like how over-described voices are yeah. and tone. Like, you know, I'm like, I, I, I get what you're trying to do here, but unless your character is blind, find another way. <laughs> yeah. Well. And even then, find another way. <laughs> but it's also so many people do like this happened last night in, in the writers group. Um, the line that was read was something like, you know, please, I beg you close quote, he pleaded. And it's like, literally he pleaded like the, the dialogue literally shows me that he's pleading. Why would you then tell me that he's pleading? You know, you could, you could take it a step further, you know, um, he put his two hands together and, and, you know, Tears stood out in his eyes. Like right, the, you can give me something. Yeah. You can take it Ooh. to a next level, as opposed to just telling me what you just showed me. Yeah. You know, let the dialogue stand on its own. The one that I always use an example is that one piece that a published author had read when we were reading together at a at a convention, and when she asked me, you know, to critique it, uh, which I always hate doing for published authors because the thing is published and it's not going to change, mm -hmm. and now it's just a you're just going to now it's going to be a festering wound when I show you something that you've done wrong. Um, that will never heal, which is always bad. But the there was one thing that she did that really stuck out. She had this one line that was the most terrifying lines that I've ever heard uttered out of a villain's mouth. Basically, this villain had a female POV character that was strapped to a bed. Um, and he said something that was the most chilling thing that I think that could come out of that guy's mouth at that time. And then... The next line was, he said his words dripping with menace. And I'm like, yes, they were. Like, why would you, like, it just, it, it, it was already there. She, she wrote the best piece of dialogue that you could possibly write. And then, in my opinion, kind of weakened it by then saying, but overriding. just in case you missed it. I, I, I feel like there's two things at play there. The one is the, like, it must be clear who is saying what. Yes. Okay, absolutely. But not every piece of dialogue needs an action tag or a um or or a speech tag. Not everyone. You can sometimes you can have a line just stand. Yeah, the, the example I always use for that is um um the DI gotten into the POV's face, spit flying from his mouth. Do I make myself clear? And then the next line is, yes, sir. Yeah. Like, out of context, we get that he's screaming in the POV's face. He asks a question, and then the question is answered. Like, it's obvious there's no way somebody screws up. Even if there's, you know, 80 guys standing in that platoon and the di is screaming at the one guy in his face um and that's the pov character like or even if it's not the pov character it could be a secondary character the pov is watching this exchange and yet when you have yes sir after that actually be sir yes sir but anyway um going back to my marine corps days um so it's 
you can't mess that up. No, no audience is going to go, sir. Yes, sir. Who said that? There's 80 guys on this, you know, thing. What's going on here? I'm totally lost. Like, no, he's screaming at one guy. And that one guy has been asked a question. And the, obviously the next piece of dialogue is answered, but I do try to avoid talking heads as well. You know, having, you know, do I make myself clear? Yes, sir. Do I really make myself clear? You know, yes, sir. What did I say? Um, well, you said to do this, this, and this. Okay, but what about this? And it's like no one may even get confused over who's saying that back and forth, especially if there's only two characters in the scene. But it just means that there's lips floating in the air spitting out words. What are they doing? I mean, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm sitting here, I'm playing with my beard, I'm I'm rotating my hands around, I'm you know, tugging on my hat. Um there's there's all these things that could be described uh that everyone that listening on the podcast didn't see any of that, but now you can actually start imagining it in your head. Uh, when I said imagining, I rotated my hands on the sides of my head uh, with my fingers splayed out. Like I can describe all this stuff so that the reader can actually see what I want them to see as opposed to, you know, again, in your head book, you can see all those motions. Yep. Just like on YouTube, you all can watch me actually using my body language as I'm talking. But everyone that's listening on a podcast, they don't get any of that. They get the paper book. YouTube is more like the head book. And so if you want to actually convey that to the podcast listeners, you've got to put it on the paper book. You've got to describe it. So I, my rule of thumb is generally if a piece of dialogue has gone dialogue only with perhaps only speech tags for because I don't count speech tags as anything other than just indicating. Right. I should have I should have made that clear. If it's like John said, Steve said, yeah. John said, Steve said, John said, Steve said, that is the, literally the, talking heads. Yeah, it's, it's talking heads. When if I've gone like three lines of dialogue without any kind of like narration around it, then it's definitely time to start putting some narration. That's yeah. kind of my rule of thumb. Like I'm not saying I will never break that rule. There's always exceptions, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. um yeah, I mean, I can think of definite examples where I could have 10 lines of dialogue back and forth with nothing in between, but it has to be because that is the right thing to do at that moment. It fits it. It actually enhances the read. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, creative is the first word in creative writing. So exactly. you have to be aware of that. I feel like it would be a good place to talk about suspense and subtext subtext is something i don't think a lot of writers think about use whatever um it's definitely something you can do in narration um you know the thing that i was talking about in this so i'm just describing a backyard is all i'm doing in this and i i have read this on this podcast before but uh, just to kind of, it's always good to kind of bring it back up. So here's the original version. I stood in my backyard. It was winter and snow covered the roof of the two-story home I'd grown up in. The pool had been drained. The trampoline placed in storage. A foot of snow sat atop my father's old covered grill. The forest surrounding the house was filled with bare branches. So everybody can see the backyard. Everybody can see the wintry thing. But that's it. Mm. If we add subtext to it. We can describe the backyard, but fill it with so much. And in, in this one, the subtext is dark. I'm doing I'm doing a painful subtext. So 
I stood in my I stood in the backyard where I'd spent my entire childhood, the pool that housed the pirate battles and sea monster attacks, the trampoline where I'd competed for Olympic gold, the surrounding forest I had spent countless days exploring, pretending it was the deep, dark jungles of Africa. The grill my father used each summer to serve up hamburgers, chicken, and ribs tastier than any I'd had since leaving home. But all that were left now were the memories, cold and empty as the winter gripping the world around me. Snow covered the roof of the two-story house, icicles lined its eaves. The pool had been drained, the trampoline placed in storage, a foot of snow sat atop the covered grill. The forest was filled with trees that seemed as lifeless as my soul. And so this one now also just describes the backyard. I didn't add anything to the second description as is in the first description. It's just there's a trampoline, there's a pool, there's a forest, there's a grill, there's a house, there's some icicles. Both of them have the same information. But in the second... We have pain, we have loss, we have remorse, we have regret. Now, I don't mention any of those words, but like usually people will come out of there and they'll go, oh man, obviously this is a story about somebody who got in a fight with their father and left home 20 years ago and have never spoken to their father since. And, and now they're back for his funeral. And I'm like, yeah, none of that's literally in any way written in that. But because the subtext is there, because there is this dark, you know, the you get the you get the remorse from the fact of, oh, look at these happy memories that that's all they are now. There yeah. is no substance to them. Like when you get this dichotomy of these these things playing off each other, the reader feels emotions out of seeing what the backyard looks like, as opposed to just seeing what the backyard looks like. And so, yeah, that's and that's obviously a narration. Um, um, I think it was Heinlein that does this beautiful short story. I can't remember what it's called, but there's there's a husband and wife having dinner and they are only talking about dinner. That's all they talk about the entire short story. And they talk about nothing but the food that's in front of them. But it is so obvious that one of them has cheated on the other. And that is literally all they're talking about is the fact that you have cheated on me and I am very angry with you. But it's all subtext to that dialogue. There's literally no lines where they actually talk about the actual infidelity. They're just talking about the food that they're eating and what it tastes like and how you know it's affecting them and everything like that. And so, you know, when you can actually go down that path. I mean, that is subtext and that's the power of subtext and being able to say something one way, but actually mean something completely different that the audience can follow. I mean, that's the important part if it's too vague. And, then... and I, want to make, I want to make two points here. Um, mm -hmm. The first is you cannot write a political conversation without subtext. Mm. Okay. You cannot. And the second one is you cannot write a political conversation without conveying to the reader the cultural understanding that the characters have. So I'll give you an example, um, and it's from um, my book, Ducal Air, where the, there's a political discussion going on. And the one woman says, I I had heard that the Larochians, which is where the POV characters from LaRoche, the LaRochians have a means of travel that the rest of us only dream of. Something about your northern wizardry putting the rest of us to shame. Louis arched his brows at the barb. Could she be talking about the ghost lights? The north is vast and travel is often required. Um, 
The Baroness of Somfa is foster to your family, is she not? Catherine accepted a cup of wine. She is. Louis sipped at the well-watered drink. It is only the ducal sash that is being considered for the scissors. Catherine toasted him with a cup. Now, the implication here is, so that they've previously discussed that they're going to break up, that they, the, 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 the evil side wants to break up the Duchy of Etendulak, which this town of Somfaz is. So the implication and the offer that she's making here, which Louis then thinks about, he goes, Louis rubbed his palm against his hose. They would offer Somfa and the rich river barge trade to La Roche for the scheme. The lure would be tempting, but for the vaster plot of Bryce Renard. Because sometimes you have to like explain a little bit to the reader right. like that. Right. But you you can do that kind of discussion where the the you have that kind of subtext. But the things that you need to make sure of is that your reader understands the culture that's being discussed and that your reader will grasp the subtext being offered. Right. Yeah. For what you're doing there, it's deeper into the story. So therefore yeah. the reader has already learned. So for those yes. of you that, that just listened to that, where they were like, wait a minute, I don't understand any of that because yeah. <laughs> you haven't gotten that base knowledge yet. Yeah. Um, you yeah. would have gotten that previously to that and then you start to release because you're in the character's head so you're worried about what the character's worried about you're worried about but then Mm -hmm. like what you did where you just kind of then said hey for those of you missed it yeah this is what this is what the offer is (laughs) and and but it was in an organic way where he's like oh so you're gonna offer this wow that's gonna be that's gonna be hard to refuse Mm. um but then they continue talking about yeah you know what not what other things, not that. Other things. They talk right. at that point. They start discussing art, and they get into like the new tapestry, and they make like right. you know they kind of insult each other over the tapestry, like you know, <laughs> it's because that's how politics works, right? That and kind of- it's okay not to be strong at that. One mm-hmm. of the reasons why most of the stories that I tell have mundane, more you know, more mundane heroes, the working class. Um, I very rarely write um, royalty because I don't like that type of stuff. I don't like politics. I don't, I'm not, I don't cater to it. I don't, because, you know, I do try to live my life in a more honorable way. So like in the realm where I do, one of my characters that I'm running is, you know, the prince, the emperor's son, but he is, you know, his big uh, fatal flaw is, is that he doesn't see shades of gray. He only sees black and white and he is on the side of good. So everything he does is good. Everything, you know, that is actually his fatal flaw. And as he goes to the story, he starts to learn, you know, that you can't go through life expecting to only do good. I don't mind running a character like that because now he's oblivious to all of this stuff, just like I am. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but there is still subtext in relationships and all that. So that's why I use yeah. subtext. You know, I just don't use it in the political field because I'm not good at it. It's not my strength. I'm fine yeah. with it, which is why I don't write stories like that. You know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses and you should not try and write things that you're not good at because it's going to show in the writing, you know, and I've created tons of worlds that have nothing to do with politics. You know, a lot of fantasy revolves around that whole political thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love reading that stuff. Um, but if you're going to get into one of my stories, it's usually going to be just some common man or woman who got sucked into something beyond their control and they're trying to do the best they can 
in that situation and and hopefully avoid the destruction of the world. So that's the type of, you know, I like that every man's story. And I think the mass market caters that to it. Why was Star Wars so successful? Because it was a moisture farmer that saved the galaxy. You know, why was, you know, the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings so successful? Because it's a little Hobbit dude that literally can't do anything. He can't fight. He can't run. He can't, you know, he's not strong. And yet he saves the world from ultimate darkness. You know, people do gravitate to that. And so that's why I tell those types of stories. There is nothing wrong with political fantasy. Um, I mean, there, oh, are, there are people who, who are, you know, uh, I like I like to think I'm okay with it. I don't know that I'm great, but I think I'm okay. You're definitely better than I am. <laughs> but um, like George R. R. Martin's books are, are yes. quite, they're, they're really good at that stuff. And they're really good at using the dialogue to build tension. Yes into into those um especially the early court scenes the first the first yep. uh couple of books were so good at and when that fails just throw a kid off a roof because <laughs> that's also a really good way to build tension just chuck a child off of a roof <laughs> uh, because he caught you and your sister having sex yeah <laughs> i'm just saying there's there's other ways to build tension too but no, he did. He did a really good job yeah. in the beginning. Um, yeah. Not going to say that he continued doing a good job, but he definitely did a good job in the beginning of that. The, the lighter books did bloat a bit. Mm. <laughs> they did bloat mm. a bit. But the 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 early books, the dialogue was sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like sharp. So, yeah. which I really did appreciate. Um, yeah, I still really love the first three books. I, I sometimes wonder if he wrote himself into a corner or wrote himself into a snarl, but either way, he can't find his way back out. <laughs> it's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. But uh, regardless, yep. I mean, he's laughing all the way to the bank and we're not. All so, the way. We know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's why I always tell my fans, you better hope I don't become a multi, you know, tens millionaire because I may never write again. Yeah. I'll just sit and play video games for the rest of my life. Yeah, if I was rallying, that seventh book may never have come out. <laughs> like, I'm already the richest woman in the world. I'm not going to write another book. I want to sit here and play video games. <laughs> but luckily, my fans don't have that problem. I am still starving, so I've got to get stuff done. All right. Yeah, so, so dialogue is really good for, for that kind of tension building. It's it really is. good for sub for conveying subtext and communication in that way, as long as you can also describe things with it. There's another aspect that there's another side of that too. And that's omission. Mm-hmm. You can't do this with your POV character because you're inside the head. And when you omit things from your character, um, like I have a private client that I'm working with and in their story, you start off with this dude, this POV and you're like, oh, and he goes and does this thing for an entire chapter. And then later you find out he's like this massively powerful, magical thing. And you're like, what? Like I just spent an entire chapter with him. How do I not know that? Um, you know, just comes out of nowhere. And so you you can't you can't cheat with your POVs, but for your secondary and tertiary characters, they don't have to say everything. They can not say stuff. And then that leads to conflict or whatever. Just don't they fall into lie. the they can also flat oh, out lie. lie. Yeah. Uh lies are usually easier though to see or or whatever, whereas opposed to when they tell most of the truth. And just don't lie. Just just don't tell you everything. The problem is, is that 
So in sitcoms, this is a trope that is overused to death. You know, it literally is this, you know, the the male is trying to help this this woman that he just met out because she's in this horrible situation. And so he's going out of his way to be nice and kind. And then the wife catches him and they they happen to she had fallen on him and her top popped open and they look, you know, very, very objectionable. And instead of saying, OK, look, so this is what happened. And here's all the evidence of it. He just goes, uh uh, 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 and then the whole episode is about this whole misunderstanding thing. And it's like, he wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have sit, sat there and just mumbled. He would have said, okay, whoa, no, uh-uh, no, this is not what it looks like. So she was here and she was caught in a bear trap. And yes, I'm trying to get her leg out to save her life. And yes, her shirt ripped, but there was no funny business going on. Look at her leg. Look at the thing. Like, no, they don't say any of that. They just, they just let it go. And then you have the whole episode that happens. And you're like, man, if you had just opened your mouth, none of this would have happened. Then again, you wouldn't have had an episode. But it's so overused in sitcoms. The content that... The content that makes me the maddest on that, the content that I feel personally like really sinned in this regard is right, Fantastic Beasts 2, where Tina is pissed off with Newt because there was this article saying Newt is, you know, with this other girl, whatever, in a newspaper article. Like I feel like that is a, a misunderstanding that could be cleared up in a single sentence. The article was incorrectly published. That's it. That's all it takes. Instead, there's a whole movie, 90 minutes worth of of tension out of... Now, here's a true story. Here's a true story (laughs) that falls down that same line. So at Gen Con one year, so I have a booth every year in in small press where it's a bunch of indie pressed authors or whatever. and I always have a booth there. I've had a booth there for, I don't know, 10, 12 years now. Uh, missed last year because of cancer, but I'll be back this year. So if you guys are going to be at, at Gen Con, I'll have a bunch of new books and, and all of that. Um, but one of my friends came up to me, and I don't know if you know this or not, but um, writers are a bunch of catty little jealous bitches, like all of us. And it's it's like getting 50 of us in one little area, you're going to have drama because writers are just petty backstabbing little creatures and i try you know like that prince character that i was talking about that is how i live my life i try to do everything by the book and try to be just the kindest nicest you know that's just the way i live my life and so one of my author friends came up and came it was like i can't believe you said that about so and so and her writing and i was like what are you talking about like well yeah you bad mouthed you know this whole thing i was like i haven't even seen her i haven't even been over there what are you even talking about and He's like, well, that's what everyone is saying. And I'm like, yeah, no, didn't happen. You know, what are you talking about? And they said, well, that you walked up when she was not at her booth, but her art, her cover artist was there and you bad mouthed her old cover and, you know, said it's about time she finally got something to look good, but not that the writing was, was even as well as the cover art and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you've known me for 10 years. Like there's, you've, I've never said anything. Like it's so uncharacteristic of me. So I was like, well, this is easy. This is easy to, to, I haven't met her cover artist. So I can just go over there and say, here's my face. Um, you have never seen me before. So obviously 
you know, whoever said this stuff to you, even though you told her it was Maxwell Alexander Drake, it obviously wasn't because here's my face. So we go over there and the author's there and the cover artist there. And I was like, hey, so heard some crap. This didn't happen. Like, and it's easy to fix. So I turned to the cover artist. And I was like, you have never seen me before because I've never talked to you. And she was like, um, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. You might have been the guy. I'm like, I might have been the guy you saw an hour ago. No, no. And she's like, well, I mean, it was a white guy with a beard. I'm like, okay <laughs> like but we've never met. Gone. <laughs> and she would not change that she was like i don't know i you might have been and i'm like no i know not might have been i wasn't like and she wouldn't stop it so it never so like i did do what i said where i was like no put a, put an end to this because this didn't happen mm -hmm. we're definitely gonna you know nip this right in the butt but uh now the artist would not would not absolve me from the crime and so to this day, that author still hates my guts. And wow. I'm like, I'm like, I can't, like, I don't even know what to say at this point. Like, <laughs> I literally wasn't even on this side of the writer's area, you know, because it was the first day I hadn't made the rounds and shook everybody's hands and, you know, take it because I take my time to go talk to everybody and how's your year been and what do you got out new and all oh, that's really cool. And because that's the type of person I am, I, you know, I like people and I want to be nice to people. Um never would I just disparage somebody to their face. Uh, it just doesn't happen. I'm not saying that I'm not petty and talk about people behind their back because we all do that, you know? So if I don't like someone's writing and we're talking about it with, you know, in a closed private group, I might say, you know what? I've read them. They're actually, I don't really like their writing. It's not very good. You know, I have no problem saying that because my opinion on the quality of their writing, but I would never say that to unless you pay me to like if you pay me as a private client, I will tell you your writing sucks because that's what you're paying me for. I mean, I won't do it mean, but I will tell you where you need to improve because you're literally paying me to do that. Um, but to walk over and and say what the artist said that I said, I have never done that in my life. So hmm. just funny that that even like yeah. so now the reason why I went down that path is that's a legitimate story. Now, if we're doing a sitcom and I do open up to absolve myself, but the only witness refuses to absolve me from the crime, now you have, and obviously the audience would have been with me. So the audience, you know, if it's a sitcom, the audience is going to watch that I didn't do it. Uh, so the audience is going to know that I'm. Now you've got tension. Like, why is this, why is this character lying? Like, why are they, right. you know? Well, um, I don't I, I or, don't think the artist was lying. Maybe maybe their eyesight is really bad. Right. Like, I don't think the artist was lying. <laughs> I think that, you know, at a convention, you meet a lot of people very, very fast. Mm. They're at your booth for a minute and a half in rapid succession. Mm. And I'm sure there was a you know, I do believe, you know, that there is more than one white guy with a beard. I I I, I know they're rare, but I'm sure that somewhere out there there's another white guy with a beard. Um, if, if you line up all of the authors in America side by side, all the male authors in America, I promise you more of them have beards than don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We're very, <laughs> we're very beard heavy over here. Yeah. So I don't think that she was, I didn't know the, I'd never met the artist before, mm -hmm. so I don't know who she was or anything like that. I have, so I don't think that she was like, Oh, I'm going to screw this guy over. I honestly think she, you know, just doesn't remember but but it still doesn't help my situation any um so now if i was writing a sitcom now that's 
the thing. Now, obviously, at the end of the 30 minutes, I would have made up with the authors and been absolved because I was innocent. And we do want things to turn out that way in stories. But in the real world, she just hates my guts because she still thinks that I badmouthed her to, you know, to her artist's face. And I was just like, I, I did not. But, you know, that's just life, you know, and that just stuff like that happens. But yeah, so you can bring this back on topic. You can absolutely omit things or mm -hmm. lie about things or whatever mm -hmm. um, from your secondary and tertiary characters. And actually, that'll bring me to one of the things I did want to talk about today, which was um, um, the fact that understanding the difference between your narrating character and your secondary and tertiary characters. Secondary and tertiary characters, the only way you can get information about them to the audience is by what they say and what they do. You're not in their heads. You cannot head hop. We do not head hop in prose at all in any POV style. So and what they say and what they do. Of Mike, do not swap into a character for a once-off POV just so you can show their emotions because it's a heart-wrenching scene. Yeah. Don't. Don't, no. don't do that. <laughs> no. That's just lazy storytelling. Yeah. And also, no here's the reason. Because a lot of people, that's not good enough for a lot of people. Mm. Um, a lot of people are like, well, that okay, but you just said it was a very emotional scene. Why wouldn't I? Because it's just going to enhance the scene. It's going to make it better. So I'm going to do it, mm. even though you said not to do it. Yeah. Yes, I get that. But here is the reality. There's, there's two parts to head hopping of why it doesn't work, even though you think it works. One is nobody gives a crap about all of your characters, but you, you're it. You will never, ever buy into uh, the audience to care about every single one of your characters. So you're expecting them to care about more than what they have the ability, the capacity to do in a story. So really what you're doing is you're making them like the main characters less because you're wasting time trying to get them to like every character or feel this emotional moment from this character that's a secondary character or tertiary character, and I just don't care about them. And so I'm not going to get that level. You love that secondary character because you created them and you know the backstory and they're very, very important. And who knows, maybe you even have a, a standalone novel for this secondary character or even this tertiary character. But I don't. And I'm the audience and, and you're just never going to buy me into that. So that's that's one aspect of it. And then the second aspect of it is is basically just the other side of that you've now taken away words that would have been better spent to make me love the main character more and deeper and so you're not only are you expecting me to like characters that i don't have the capacity to like the you're also weakening the amount of words that you have to spend on the characters that you really want me to relate to and so head hopping doesn't work Sorry, I just want to say on top on, onto that. The main oh. character's emotional reaction to the emotions of the secondary character will mean more to the reader yes. than the emotions of the secondary character because the reader is invested in the main character. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. 100%. That's where it is. And, and yes, I get the creative is the first word in creative writing. And yes, I can think of situations where head hopping, if it's used as the actual plot device, may actually be the right way to tell a story. But that is a very specific exception, not the rule. And then it's a device. And then, then, it's, then, a device. It's, then it's a plot device, yeah. It's just like breaking the fourth wall. 
You know, if you do, if you have that as a device that you're using consistently and it's a part of the storytelling process, it can enhance it, like with House of Cards or Doogie Hauser. So Scrubs was is what I'm thinking of, you know, where he actually talked to the audience every once in a while. So having that, you know, but that's a part of the shows, you know, that's what they are. They're they're designed to be that way where we're going to talk to the audience. If you aren't using that and you just randomly once turn to the audience and talk directly to them, like what they did in She-Hulk at the end of it, where she actually pops into your actual Disney Plus screen and knocks one of the, the windows out and crawls out of your TV and down to a different you know show and crawls into that show. That is so out of place and so just disturbingly bad written that um, because it comes out of nowhere, like, you just took a show that you gave me, you know, eight episodes of where we're in this world and we're real. And now She-Hulk is climbing out of my Hulu Plus main menu. What? Yeah. Like, what are you even doing? You cannot write. Especially um, when you've especially when you've got a universe as well established as the MCU, which has never spoken right. to the audience. Right. Now, there was that there was that show with Alanis Morissette as God. Uh, Reservoir Dogs? No. Um, Dogma. Dogma. But it was it was one of those with Silent Jay and Silent Bob. Right. It's a comedy. It's, but it's fantastic. It's but, a dick and fart joke comedy <laughs> on top of that. And and there's this moment where I think it's um, those two um, Goodwill hunting, um, those two ben actors. Affleck. Mm-hmm. Ben, ben Affleck. Ben Affleck and, and, and uh, Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. So mm-hmm. Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are like, why would you be in a show like this? And then because your friend blackmailed you into it and they both turned to stare at the camera. (laughs) But it was that, that works because it's that genre. Yeah. So be conscious of your genre that you're writing. But that's a plot device that, you know, you're using because it's a part of the show. What they did in, in She-Hulk is just bad writing. And, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite here. I'm very cautious of how I talk. Telling an author that I know still up and coming that's trying to make a living for themselves that they're a crappy writer to their face is not something I would ever do. Telling a woman who took an IP that is multi, multi multi-billion dollars and literally wrote it in a horrible way that ruined the IP, I will tell her to her face she's a terrible writer. Um, So... I, I do see them very different. One is on a big stage that got paid more money than I will probably ever make in my career at all. So she can take it because she screwed up. She got an opportunity that she totally, you know, choked on. And the other is somebody who's trying their best to do their thing on their own dime. Um, there is a big difference to that, yep, to me. Absolutely. Um, and also, I never said anything about that first girl. Like, I've never said anything negative about her. Not even behind her said- back. She's a fine fantasy author. Um, like I, I will, I will criticize George R. R. Martin yeah. and Brandon Sanderson and like all those those guys. That you reach a certain nothing, level. Nothing you, that I say is going right. to hurt them. You <laughs> reach a certain level and you've impacted this many people. Yeah. Then you should be called out when you are, you know, less than what you should be. I mean, you Being reach that level supposedly <laughs> because you were better than everyone else. I reserve the right to say that you, you. You did a bad thing here. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm the same way. I just, when I was saying that, I was in my 
you know, because I've got that eight year old girl that lives inside of me that hates my gut. So she was screaming, oh, you're just a hypocrite. You literally just said this other the same thing, but in the other way. And now you're doing this. See, I told you you're a terrible person and no one should like you. <laughs> yeah, she was really mean, but whatever. So I had to go down there because she reared her ugly head and screamed at me. Getting back to this, it is what you have to think about as far as um, as the dialogue. You have to be more cognizant of what you're doing. You have to be more cognizant of your, you know, are you using it as a plot device or you're not using it as a plot device and so on and so forth. So and that if being said. You lie, if any of your characters lie, um, you need to keep track of that lie because mm. eventually there needs to be a reckoning, right? There needs to be some some result from that lie. It can't just be a lie that's never. <laughs> then it can't be a Chekhov's gun. Then it's just a waste. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Chekhov's gun. It it got yeah. cocked, but it never got fired. Yeah. So there has to be an outcome. Everything. Remember, it always upsets me when people are like, "Oh, but I want to write more like real life." No, no. This is entertainment. This is for people to escape real life. Everything works different in fiction. We actually tie up all of our loose ends. I mean, the story that I just told about my real life, that that loose end never got tied up. She still thinks that I said those horrible things about her. And she probably always will. So, you know, just the way it is. Um, it's not a good ending to that story. But no one wants to read that story either. It's funny to hear the story, you know, just because whatever. But it's not something I'm going to pick up and read. And it's no. not going to give me a satisfying ending. No. We are not writing real life. We are writing fiction. And fiction needs to emulate real life, but have satisfying conclusions to, and by satisfying, it can be a tragedy, but it's still satisfying. Um, you know, Seven had a satisfying ending, even though it was horrible. Mm. But yeah. All right. So yeah. So when you when you lie, like do take care of that. Do make sure that there is some, that they pull that through, thread through. So last thing. Because when I one thing that I don't think writers think about is when to use dialogue and when not to use dialogue. Mm. So they'll use dialogue as a crutch when they shouldn't, when it's actually more powerful for to use it in narration, and then vice versa, they'll use narration when they should have used dialogue. So as an example, and this is just from my class, um, I'm so angry with you, Drake said to Dylan. Okay, but could we show more emotions in narration as opposed to saying any dialogue at all? So instead, maybe think about something like this. Dylan sat timidly across the table from Drake, his eyes pleading for, for what? Forgiveness? Acceptance? Drake looked away, clenching his jaws as he glared out the window. I don't, nothing needs to be said between these two. Like, literally no dialogue. And it's so much more powerful in that instance to go that way but also the other way using dialogue instead of narration and don't use dialogue because you're like oh but people the characters have to catch up other characters on what's happened don't do that oh Some yeah no 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 especially if the readers already know it yeah we have um, said like, a few times it just bears reminder do not do that <laughs> right so like go in the other direction though maybe in narration you you want to tell the readers about your character so you'll write a line like Drake a former marine was ready for anything the world threw at him. Like okay mm -hmm. like why? So instead, you know, maybe Drake is meeting 
you know, with this young child for the first time. And, you know, they're going to, that's when the audience is going to know somebody's going to say, oh yeah, Drake was a former Marine. And the, you know, the boy looks up at Drake. Wow. You were a combat Marine. And yeah, Drake answers with a smile. I spent three years fighting in the Middle East. I've seen just about everything there is to see. Like you can use dialogue to give that backstory information organically in it. So, you know, and you do have to, I do every piece of dialogue I look at and go, would that be better in narration and everything in narration? I go, could it be stronger in dialogue? And it really comes down to how I've learned how to teach. This can be a very divisive topic because some there's definitely two camps in this. I'm in the camp of, I freaking love inner monologue. I use inner monologue on every page. I use it two, three times on a page. Inner monologue is awesome. It is the, the cat's meow. Some people are like, inner monologue is terrible. It's always terrible. You, if you use one piece of inner monologue, I hate your guts and you should burn and die. So it's a very divisive topic. But I do use a lot of inner monologue. But here's the thing. And here's how I teach inner monologue. Because it's the same thing as what I just talked about there. Should you use narration instead of dialogue or should you dialogue instead of narration? It's it's easier to really grasp in the uh, inner monologue side. I only use inner monologue when it takes the reader deeper into the character. If the line does not take the reader deeper into the character, then I, I don't use it. Case in point, last night at the writer's group meeting, there was a piece of inner monologue mm -hmm. where the narration said something like, um, it was his brother who loved this game. No, no, I'm sorry. The line was, his brother was so excited, he even woke him up early so that they could both go down and get um, the first day's fresh bread. Mm. And then it said in inner monologue, yeah, right. Like he cared about the bread. What he really cared about was the baker's big chested daughter. And all that's in inner monologue. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. okay, let's let's break this down. Because first of all, yeah, right. Like he, like my brother cares about the bread. That actually, as opposed to if we were to turn that into narration, if it was just, um, you know, character knew that his brother didn't care about the bread. So if you look at the difference between those two lines, yeah, right. Like my brother really cares about the bread actually gives a little deeper piece of information. It gives the fact that this is a, a very common thing that the character is frustrated by it, that, mm. you know, there's some emotion attached to it. Whereas in narration, it's not. Mm. But then the second line, what he really cares about is the baker's big chested daughter versus in narration, you know, what character's brother really cared about was the baker's big chested daughter. There's literally no difference between those two lines. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't take me deeper into the, do the first one. Right. Yeah. The first one does. It lets me know that the character's annoyed that he objectifies the baker's daughter. So yeah. good on the POV character. But the second piece doesn't do anything. So therefore, I would never make that as inner monologue because it doesn't take me deeper into the scene. It doesn't give me information better than the narration. And narration is always easier to, to, to swallow than inner monologue. And so even though I use inner monologue on every page, it's always because that piece of inner monologue takes the reader deeper than I could have taken them had I left it somehow and, and you know, wrote it in some way that would give that information in narration. 
So that's my rules on narration or an inner monologue. I'm sorry. Um, use it if it actually enhances that moment for the character and for the reader and, and connects them deeper. Don't use it if it doesn't. But it's the same thing going back to what we were just talking about, about cutting info dumps. Would it be more organic to give it through dialogue than do it through dialogue? Would it be more emotional to not say it in, you know, or to say it sparingly and give some other descriptions? Um, because, I mean, in the Dylan one, mm-hmm. you know, it, I could have said, you know, Drake, I just want to stop. You know, that could be the dialogue. And then all the rest of that emotion of me, you know, thinking about to myself of, you know, what and, and when I say thinking myself, I mean in narration, I'm not talking yeah. about inner monologue, but you know, what did what did Dylan expect? You know, what was he looking for? Forgiveness, you know, compassion, whatever, whatever mm-hmm. it was that I wrote. Like all of that still is much more powerful. And I could still, you know, the dialogue is Drake, I was just and then stop. Like that could be this, which is nothing. You know, it's a start of a sentence and then Drake interrupting and saying, just stop. You know, if 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 I felt that that was the strong way. So it's it's just thinking about it. Dialogue is not always the best solution, but narration isn't always the best solution. So being willing to adjust and change and going, man, this line would be better as dialogue. Oh, man, this piece of dialogue is weak. I, I could do a better job of showing the emotions of it if they just didn't say anything at all. Or if they, you know, said something different and then I added the emotions Uh, to the narration or whatever. So just think about that. And if you're doing it to cut out info dumps, just remember, if you write as you know Bob dialogue, we will find a way to reach through the screen and slap you. (laughs) Because we have said it a lot of times on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, just so people know. uh, So as you know, dialogue is when, and it happens really bad in fantasy. That's why we're so uh, sensitive to it. But... Saying something like, as you know, Ren said to Finn, we're fairies and fairies only eat honey. Finn would be like, yeah, I was born a fairy. Why would you tell me that, you stupid idiot? Because that's literally the same thing as me saying, well, Marie, while we're doing this podcast, me and you are humans and humans have to breathe. So make sure you are taking in air while we're doing this podcast or you'll die. Like, it's the same stupid thing to say. Um, just because they're fantasy creatures and just because we don't know what they are doesn't mean they don't know what they are. So having them say something like that is literally like having two of your human characters tell the other one, don't forget to breathe. Gotta breathe. You're going to die if you don't breathe. Like, (laughs) don't do that. It's bad. I think that's a good note on which to end this podcast on dialogue. We will see you soon for another one. Bye.